Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. College students and high school students and others have, in the last few weeks, taken finals. That very word makes me cringe. Especially when those professors gave you a final over the whole course, not just the second half of the semester. When they gave you a final that demanded that you recall everything that you had learned for 18 weeks in the course of that semester. There's nobody to help. You've got to study. You've got to dig. You've got to cram. You've got to remember because there's a test coming, and that test determines your final grade. And there's no negotiating and no debating. I remember sitting in a classroom and taking a final in one of my Bible classes in in college, and I knew what I had to make to make an A. Now, by the way, when I made an A, and when, well, I didn't make many, but when, when, when we had A's when I was growing up, A was 96 to 100. I don't ever want to hear kids today complaining about the grading scale is too hard. Mine was 96 to 100. And I had a 95.6 final grade. And I went to my professor and I said, look, I have taken eight classes under you. I have never made an A. I have come close every time. I begged, I pleaded, would you please give me an A? It's already up to point six. And he looked at me and he said, Michael, if I gave you an A, you wouldn't appreciate it. I said, oh, yes, I would. <laughs> you don't know how much I'd appreciate it. I would probably name my dog after you or something. I don't know, but I would do something. I mean, you don't know how much. He said, no. He said, and then you would quit working for it because you would know that you really didn't earn it. There is coming a day in every life of every person in this room when we will take a final exam. We've already talked this morning about the death of Ronald Reagan There's coming a day when we will die and we will face our final exam. It is not a test that we can cheat on. It's not a test where we can determine what the questions are. It is a test on how we have lived our life. And it is a test that we take alone. We do not take it with our spouse or with our children or with our ancestors. We don't take it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We take this test alone. It is the test of judgment. The word judgment implies accountability and responsibility. And you and I stand accountable before God. Judgment is a reality in the Word of God. It is not something you can ignore. The grace of God does not eliminate the judgment of God. For God to be loving and gracious, he also has to be a righteous judge. And he has to judge mankind, whether lost or saved. 
So I want us to look this morning at the revelation of judgment. And the first thing that we need to see, and I will give you a lot of references today, and many are in your notes for you to do further study on. The first thing we'll see is that the Scripture teaches a coming judgment. The Scripture tells us that there is a coming judgment. Sixteen times the prophets talk about the day of the Lord. The Old Testament teaches that there is a coming judgment. It is called by various names. The day of destruction, the day of trouble, the day of desolation and waste, the day of darkness and not light, the day of God's wrath, when God will judge nations and people. Now, for the sake of time, I want you to just write down these two references. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 7. The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. And then the psalmist again in Psalm 96 and verse 13. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah all talk about the fact that there is coming a day of personal accountability. Number says, be sure your sins will find you out. And so the Old Testament very clearly teaches judgment. We see by God sending Israel into captivity over and over again because of their disobedience and their idolatry that God judges even his covenant people. That nobody gets off the hook here. But the New Testament teaches it as well. The New Testament talks about the day of the Lord or the day of Christ. And the New Testament tells us in the Gospels that Jesus is going to be the one who is the agent of judgment. It is called the day of wrath, the end of the age, or the great day. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows that shall he also reap. In the one chapter book of Jude, in verse 18, the message translates verse 18 this way, and boy, if this doesn't read like the headlines of any paper today, in the last days there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make a religion of their own whims and lust. Hebrews 9 and 27 says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so the Scripture teaches a coming judgment. But not only that, the Scripture characterizes what this judgment is going to be like. And there are a number of references there in your notes, so I want to take you through what this judgment is going to be like. First of all, there is an appointed day. There's an appointed day when God is going to judge this world. It is on God's calendar. We don't know what that day is. But Acts 17 and Romans 2 tell us that God's going to do that. Secondly, it is at the second coming of Christ. Now that's a very simplistic explanation right there because you understand that Christ comes, He takes the church, and then He comes back. But just to make it simple, it is at the second coming of Christ. Thirdly, it will be very soon. The book of Ezekiel and Zephaniah and Luke both talk about this. Number four, it will be impartial. Your mother will not be there to speak on your defense. You will not be able to hire Johnny Cochran to help you. It will be impartial. There is one judge 
There is no jury, and God will judge impartially. He has no favorites. He will judge with an impartial judgment. Number five, it will be just. It's a just judgment. It'll be a fair judgment because he is a righteous and holy God and a just God. Number six, no one will escape it. No one's going to escape this judgment that is coming. God has set it on his calendar. Amos and Matthew and Hebrews and 1 Peter and Revelation and other books tell us that God has set an inescapable day. You will not get out of it. I will not get out of it. All of us will face a judgment. Number seven, all believers will stand before God. All believers will stand before God. We'll stand to give an account of our lives. And number eight, our works will be tried by fire. Let's talk thirdly about the lost and the saved because there are two different judgments here. There's the judgment of the lost and there's the judgment of the saved. Let's talk first of all about the judgment of the believer. The judgment of the believer. The judgment of the believer is not a judgment to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That's already been determined in this life. This judgment of the believer is called the judgment seat of Christ. And it is a judgment of your rewards and of your works. Ecclesiastes 11 says, God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I tell you, if the church of Jesus Christ just believed the Bible enough to believe Matthew 12, 36, and 37, it would stop all gossip and all slander and all murmuring and all backbiting because we will answer for every word, he says. And then in the book of Luke, chapter 12 and verse 2, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. The judgment of the believer is that God is going to bring this life before us, but now there's a judgment for the lost. And if you are here today and you do not know for a fact that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not know that if you died today that you would spend eternity in heaven, I'm not talking about walking an aisle. I'm not talking about shaking a preacher's hand. I'm not talking about being baptized or being sprinkled or immersed. I'm not talking about being dedicated. I'm talking about you have realized at a point in your life that you are lost and without Christ and in need of a Savior then today you need to understand this is what's going to happen when you die. And 99.9% of us will have no control over when we die. We will be either heavily medicated in a hospital, we will be killed suddenly, but we'll have no control over when we die. So you technically, really because of technology and medicine and so many other things, you've really lost control about having ever an opportunity 
for a deathbed confession. And so you need to listen very carefully. If you do not know Christ, if you have a loved one that does not know Christ, you need to understand this is what's coming. This is what God's Word has said. We sing about heaven and we sing about the joy of heaven, but there's an equal reality of hell that people will die and spend eternity separated from God in a Christless place called hell. Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15 tells us that this is not a judgment of destiny either because destiny was decided in this life. This is the great white throne of judgment. Satan will be judged and his angels, his fallen angels will be judged, but there's a judgment of the wicked and of the lost. And this is a determination not of rewards, but of the severity of punishment. How severe the punishment will be. Now we're going to talk about what heaven's going to be like in just a minute, but heaven and hell are not going to be the same for everybody. There is a level of rewards and there's also a severity of punishment and heaven and hell is not going to be the same for every person it's going to be determined by the light that was rejected by the opportunities that the person had and so let's look at what the bible says about the judgment of the loss first of all it will be an awesome and terrible judgment an awesome and terrible judgment Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Secondly, it will be bitter. It will be a bitter judgment. Zephaniah 1, verses 14 through 18. Just as there is a coming judgment for the Christian, it is a certain judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 3. It is a dreadful judgment. Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 25 through 31. It is a day of retribution, Isaiah chapter 13. A day of retribution. It is a day of righteous judgment, Romans chapter 2 and verse 5. And the end result is eternal hell and separation from the presence of God. If you do not know Christ today, that's what you're facing. That's what is before you. Unless something changes in your life, unless you come to the point of realizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, unless the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you respond, you will die lost. And I would encourage you, if you're in that condition, if you're at the front or the back or the sides or the mezzanine or wherever you are, that the minute that we begin to play that song of invitation, the minute this sermon is over, I would get up as quickly as I can, crawl over people if I have to, and come down and find one of our staff members and say, I need to be saved today. I don't want to face that judgment. I want God to forgive me of my sin. I need a new direction in my life. If you don't know for sure, you better come settle it. Because I would hate to live not knowing for sure that I know where I'm going when I die. Because this is what faces the person without Christ. Now let's look at the examination of judgment. And from this point on, I want to speak to believers and what we as believers have to understand. 
what this judgment means for us. And there's a summary statement that I'm going to give you here that I think you need to write down somewhere and maybe ought to write it in your notes and in your Bible when you get home. You and I are one heartbeat away. You and I are one heartbeat away from a fixed state of rewards, be it joy or shame. As a believer, you and I are one heartbeat away from a fixed state, doesn't fluctuate, from a fixed state of rewards, be it joy or shame. One heartbeat, one breath away from a fixed state of rewards joy or shame. The second statement I would make is you're one heartbeat away from what you will be for all eternity. You see, you're, you're going to take who you are to eternity. You're one heartbeat away from what you will be for all eternity. Third statement I would make is this, where I leave off in time, I take up in eternity. Where I leave off in time, I take up in eternity. So what we need to understand today is that life is preparation for eternity. This is not the end when we die. It is the front end of eternity. The shortest part of our existence is what we have right now. We will live for eternity in a fixed state. And what we do in this life is preparation for eternity. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and only you can answer it. Are you, right now, what you want to be then? Are you, right now, ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to stand and give an account of your life at this very moment, right now? Are you ready? We are a fixed state away. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We must all appear. The issue is not living or dying. The issue is, am I ready? Am I ready for that day? You see, this is not a judgment of salvation. This is a judgment of stewardship. How have you lived your life? What kind of steward have you been of the gifts and the abilities and the talents and the length of your life and the health of your life that God has given you, how good a steward have you been of all that God has given you? And I must say, for those of us who have had the privilege of being a part of evangelical churches where the gospel is preached and the word is believed, we will have a harder judgment because we know more. We have heard more. We have seen more. And if some of our liberal friends who do not believe the Word of God had heard what you had heard, they would have repented by now and gotten their lives in line. 
But we've heard it so much, we think that just knowing it means we're okay. But this is not a judgment of your knowledge as much as it is of the stewardship of your knowledge. How many sermons have you heard? How many Bible studies have you been to? How many tapes have you listened to? How many songs have you sung? This is a stewardship of our lives and what we have done with what God has poured into us. The picture here is of the Bema seat. It would have been a very familiar picture to those who were listening to the words of Paul being read to them in that church. The Bema seat was an elevated platform on which a governor or a judge or a ruler sat to issue a verdict or to hand out rewards or to address a crowd. The judges sat on Bema seats because the elevated judges bench, which we have in America today, is a picture that the judge is above bribery. He cannot be tainted by opinions and by subjective thoughts, that he will be objective in what he says. And so this is an objective judgment. It was also a picture of a platform in an athletic event where the winners of the athletic event would stand. The higher the level, the greater the reward. We see that in the Olympics today. And so Paul was painting a very familiar picture there, and what he's saying to us is we're going to stand before a lofty judge, a holy judge, And we're going to be rewarded for how we've lived. That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Now, I want you to look at a little word here before we go to the third point. And that is the word appear. The word appear may not be the best translation here. It means to make evident or to make manifest. What Paul is saying to us is that God will make manifest, evident, and the implication is that it will be a public manifestation of our lives. Why? Because nobody in heaven is going to walk around saying, you got a better deal than me. God grades you on the curve. God will do this publicly of our works as believers and the public manifestation for the recompense of the deeds done in the body. We will all say when we hear God's judgment on our works and our deeds, God was right, God was just, God was fair. I got what I deserved. And everybody around us will say God was right, God was just, God was fair. I got what I deserved. No appeals court. No reporters standing outside where you voice your opinion. It will be a public manifestation before God and before the body where everything we've done in our works for God will be judged. Thirdly, the results of the judgment. Let's talk about what what the results will be. First of all, our motives will be judged. Our motives will be judged. 1 Corinthians 3 says the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Not the size, but the sort. It's going to check the quality of each man's work. In other words, why we did what we did. What's your motive for what you do for God? So somebody will pat you on the back and tell you that you're wonderful? You see, if you live for applause you'll die because of criticism. If you live for the praise of men, your rewards stop right there. 
You may start out serving God with a good motive, whether it's in your vocation, in your job, in your home, wherever it might be. Your, your initial thing is, I want to do this for the glory of God. I want to do this to the praise of God. I want to use my gifts and my talents and my abilities and my service and my heart and my life. I want to do it all for the glory of God. But somewhere along the line, the devil will slip in and sidetrack you and make you do it because you like people telling you how great a teacher you are and how wonderful a preacher you are. And how fabulous a singer you are. And how they couldn't think about having anybody but you do something for them. And you'll begin to look for the pat on the back. And when you do, your rewards stop right there. No rewards. Because of your motive. What's the motive for what we do? Ron Dunn said, the Lord has made a big investment in us and he expects a return on his investment. See, it's not so much a judgment of what you do, but why you do it. And by the way, it's not a judgment on what you gave as much as what you kept. And that's not just money. That's your time. That's your mind. That's your life. That's your skills. How much of your life, the essence of who you are, did you give for the glory of God? It's a test of our motives. Second Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of each man's heart. That little phrase in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, to bring the light, is the word to examine. It's the same word of Pilate examining Jesus at the trial. It's the same word of Felix examining Paul at his trial. There's going to be an examination. There's going to be a test. There's a final that is coming. Not only are the motives of our work tested, but the quality of our work will be revealed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, whether good or bad. Now, the word bad there could probably be translated a better way. It means worthless, whether good or worthless. God is going to judge the worth of what we have done. God's going to look at what we've done and see what value it added, what benefit it added to the cause of Christ, to the building up of the kingdom. He's going to evaluate us by the worth or worthlessness of what we have done. And then there's another one, the rewards for our work, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds. Now listen very carefully. You are not saved because of your works, but you are rewarded for them. God takes note of every thought and every deed, and he rewards us. You're not saved by working for God. That would be added something to Jesus, and you can't do that. But we are rewarded by our works, that each one of us. That means that some of us are putting pennies into our account in heaven, and some of us are putting millions into our account in heaven. Some of us are headed for great rewards, and some of us, when the judgment comes, as 1 Corinthians says, by fire, everything we've done is going to be burned up, and there will be nothing There are rewards. Now, there's going to come a day when God is going to open my vault and he's going to reveal what I did and why I did it. 
and he will be fair and just in doing so. Now, I said hell's not going to be the same for everybody. Heaven's not going to be the same for everybody either. Let me just give you two verses here. Matthew 16, 27, Christ is going to recompense every man according to his deeds. Now, that's Matthew. That's also mentioned in Corinthians. And then in Matthew 6, 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Listen, that God would recompense us according to our deeds and that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven makes no sense unless... God's going to give accordingly and proportionally. Heaven's not going to be the same for everybody. Some people are just barely going to get in and say, well, that's all I want. It won't be when you get there. Just getting in is not going to be what you want when you get there. Let me ask you something. Do you really want to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords with nail scars in his hands and in his feet and a wound in his side and say, man, all I wanted to do was just get in? Thanks for bleeding and dying so I could live on my own terms. I don't think you want to say that. I don't think you want to run the risk that you'll get to say that. Because I don't know that you can say you're saved and live that way. Not according to what the Bible says salvation is. There are crowns for the believer. There are at least five. The crown of life, James chapter 1. The crown of glory. The crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, and the incorruptible crown. And somebody might say, well, you know, if we get all these crowns and, you know, we're just going to walk around just kind of make sure we don't tilt to one side while we're wearing them all? No. All the crowns and all the rewards and all the things that God says, when he says, well done, we're going to turn around and we're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus And as Revelation says, we're going to say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor and strength. You see, we don't get the crowns for us. We want these crowns so that we can give them back to Jesus. Because we wouldn't have any if it wasn't for Him. All of it is because of His grace in our lives. And then there's the regret of a wasted life. When we get to heaven, we're going to see things differently. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Do you realize what John is saying there? John is saying that there are going to be some Christians that are going to be ashamed when Jesus comes back. He says, abide in him so that When he appears, we may have confidence. Why? Because we don't want to shrink back in shame at his coming. John's not talking to lost people there. He's talking to Christians. That when Jesus comes, we don't want to say, oh, no, not yet. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I need to get my house in order. I've got somebody I need to apologize to. I've got an area I need to get right. Let me write a check I haven't been giving. Let me go witness to my lost friend that I haven't cared about. There's no time for that. We would shrink back at his coming. You see, you don't know when he's going to come. So if you're not ready now, you're probably not going to be ready then. Then 1 Corinthians 3.15, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, don't, don't move past quickly that word loss in 1 Corinthians 3.15. My understanding of what God's going to do is, is this. God's not going to look down and say, oh, wow, you went to youth camp in the seventh grade. That's two brownie points. Oh, you came home and talked back to your mama. You lost a brownie point. Uh, you made it to every night of the Bible conference. That's 12 points. Oh, you missed the next Bible conference. That's going to be a negative 20 because it was a bigger conference. God is not going to judge the isolated moments. Oh, you had a five-minute quiet time. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you didn't have a quiet time in those days, so we can forget that five minutes over here. God is going to judge the totality of our life. Everything we've done, how we've lived, how we've acted, how we've reacted, how we have responded to people who have hurt us, how we have loved those who were unlovely, how we have served in the church and served when we were asked to serve in the church how we have given, how we have studied, how we have read, how we have prayed. He's going to study the totality of our life, not isolated incidents, but he's going to look at the big picture of who we are. This is not going to be a theatrical trailer of highlights. This is going to be the whole movie. And on our life, God will look at the totality of what we've done, having come to know Christ, and he will judge accordingly how you ran the race if you finished the course Daniel Webster one of the great minds of America was asked what is the greatest thought you have ever had and he said my greatest thought I've ever had is my accountability before God Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.